Oh, that ball's hit hard. Way back into right field. And McKinney goes deep. Another solo home run. He put it right in the wheelhouse of Billy McKinney. And the Brewers have a 2-1 lead. Luis Urias seems to be a little bit more complete of a hitter. He might not be the wild card that Orlando RC was. He seems to be a possibly a more complete player. Okay, I'll admit it. Fine. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Do we all stay up late last night? Y'all make it to the end of the Brewer game? Caught the Bucks game versus the Suns? The Brewers playing on the West Coast. The Bucks at home versus a West Coast team. Brewers game didn't go too long. I can't complain. It was done in less than three hours, so it certainly could have been worse. Still wrapped up around midnight, which is less than ideal for us. Hardworking, employed, up early, blue-collar Americans. Well, that's you. I don't... This isn't a real job, but you're a hardworking folk. You have to get up in the morning and... And do a serious job. Can't complain. Midnight's not too bad. Just had a lot of extra coffee today. First meeting this morning was a little bit rough. The the eyes were a little bit droopy. That's the worst, right? When I'm awake, I'm in a meeting, I'm all dressed, I'm ready to go for my day, and my eyes just won't stay open. Eyes get droopy. And then the yawns hit one after another. That was my morning. I think uh, four or five cups of coffee in throughout the day, though. I think I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to rock. Talk about the Brewers win over the Padres last night in San Diego and the Bucks losing at the horn in overtime to the Suns. That uh, was a very anticlimactic ending to an awesome game. So let's talk about these games. Brewers and Bucks. Talk a little Packers today as well. It's the Wisco Sports Show, and my name is Grant Bills. I hope you're having a good afternoon. Th- this show today feels a little bit trivial because right outside my studio door a bunch of my coworkers have gathered to watch the George Floyd verdict so I'm like hey everybody you're witnessing world event I'm gonna go in here and talk about something that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things uh so there's real life very important world news going on and let's talk let's talk about Bruce starting rotation huh look at that that ERA huh man that ERA is under what just doesn't it doesn't stack up so that news is going on right now. We're not going to talk about it at all today. Um, not going to get into politics at all today. That's a, that's a pretty serious issue. The one thing I will say, be empathetic, right? Whatever side of the island you might be on when talking about the news of the day, when maybe posting on social media, uh, when talking to coworkers or friends, just be empathetic to people who might feel differently. It's a pretty emotional story. It's a pretty emotional issue that's coming to a head today. So... If it does come up in your everyday conversation or on social media, just take a deep breath and, and maybe think before you speak. Be empathetic to those who might feel differently. That's the one thing I'll say about that. Now, while that serious world news is going on, let's let's talk about a bunch of things that really don't matter in the in the grand scheme of things. I want to talk to two guests today. Two guests show. This is a treat. I'm going to have to make this a thing. Two guests Tuesdays. We're going to speak with David Gasper, our Brewers man, uh, the grand poobah of reviewing the brew, editor-in-chief. Uh, of reviewing the brew. Great day to talk to Gasper. A rough weekend series against the Pirates, but a really exciting win against a really good team last night. Brandon Woodruff, as good as advertised, even against an offense that's that good, the San Diego Padres. So good day to talk to David Gasper. His boy, Luis Urias, also hit a home run last night. So 
today is the day. We'll speak with Casper coming up at 4.30. And our good, good buddy, our compadre, our friend, Ebo from The Zone in Madison will join us at 5.30. I don't really have anything specific that we need to cover with Ebo today. Brewers, Bucks, a little bit of Packers. But uh, if you have anything that you would like to ask Ebo, send me a text. And you can text and call the entire show, 608-796-2558. And on Twitter, as always, you can tweet me, follow me, interact with me, block me if you hate me. Find me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Brewers won last night 3-1. The Bucks lost to the Suns in overtime, 128-127. I say we start with the good, and then we'll get to the bad. We'll do the Brewers first, then we'll do the Bucks coming up at about 420, and then we'll speak with Gasper at 435. How does that sound? That's good order of things, oper- order of operations for the first half hour. Start with the Brewers. I complained last week when the Brewers and the Bucks were off. There were a couple of nights last week where we had nothing to watch. Right, Brewers would play an afternoon game, and then I'd get home and have nothing to do, nothing to listen to or to watch on TV. And then the Bucks would have an off day or the Brewers would have an off day. And I just, I got bored last week. And I think last night was maybe a little bit of of karma for complaining because I watched Wisconsin sports between the Brewers and the Bucks last night from 7 p.m. to about 12.30 a.m. Yes, the Brewer game was done around midnight or a little bit before midnight, but I had to watch the highlights. I had to watch the postgame presser. Come on, I had to soak it all in. Plus, you know how it is. If you watch one of your teams, especially the Packers, say on Sunday Night Football, and the game is close, and it's exciting, you can't just go to bed right after the game. You're all fired up. You're either angry about your team losing or you're fired up about a win. So you got to watch the postgame press or watch the postgame or watch the highlights, right? So that's what I was doing last night until the wee-wee hours of the morning. Luckily, I don't have a real job, so it's not like I have to be up at the crack of dawn to be a productive contributor to society at 7 a.m. Brewers struggled against Pittsburgh this weekend, but made it look relatively easy in San Diego last night. Baseball, right? Baseball's weird. Baseball doesn't always play out like it should. I think the last four days are certainly a good example of that. Two things from last night that I want to talk about. Um, One with the pitching and something with the offense as well. Something specific about the pitching and something specific about the offense. Let's start with pitching, which starts with Brandon Woodruff. I think the story of last night's game really begins and ends with Brandon Woodruff he was spectacular and maybe Brewers fans we've been a little bit concerned and a little bit worried that at some point the floor was going to drop out Brewers starters have been so good to start the year maybe we were worried that this was going to regress maybe they were going to have a bad outing especially now that they're playing a true bona fide legitimate a top of the NL type offense and I like the Cardinals but I don't think they're as good as the, the Padres and the Cubs can't hit the ball to save their lives now the Brewers pitchers still played well against the Cubs But the Cubs hitters probably don't challenge those Brewers starters in the same way that the Padres hitters challenged Brewers pitchers last night and will tonight and tomorrow afternoon. So I think as good as starting pitching had been coming into this series, this was a good test. It's like, well, Woody and Burns have been good so far. Let's let's go against the Padres, see how they do then. And Woodruff was great last night. He was sensational. Six innings pitched, only one earned run, seven strikeouts, three walks. So not the flawless no-walk style of of Corbin Burns, but still pretty darn good. Not Freddie Peralta walking four or five, six guys per outing. Brandon Woodruff was awesome. The only hit he allowed was in the first inning, which led to an eventual RBI ground out. And then he pitched a no-no through innings two, three, four, five, and six. Now, if you're like me, you might have missed that first inning because of the Bucs. I missed the first inning because of the Bucs game. So when I tuned in, it was one to nothing. And I thought, ugh, Woody, 
He doesn't have it tonight. He got off to a slow start, a, a tough first inning. That doesn't bode well, right? I think that first inning signifies something very, very important, right? That first inning signifies Woodruff overcoming a bump in the road. Does that make sense? That first inning showed that Brandon Woodruff came out. It didn't go perfect for him. Didn't get off to a perfect start, but yet he was able to recover and then go the distance anyways, at least, quote, the distance through six innings. I'm sure a lot of Brewers fans, even though Woodruff threw 95 pitches last night, I'm sure a lot of Brewers fans would have liked to see him for the seventh, right? That's really not the way Craig Council does things. Six innings, considering that he, he threw almost 30 pitches in the first inning, I'll, I'll take that, right? That's a thumbs up. And for example, what have we been saying about Freddie Peralta? Right? We complain about Freddie Peralta. He's got great stuff. He's a great pitcher, and he throws really well. But it's inefficiencies, walks, dumb mistakes, needless mistakes that kind of ruin his starts. I think Craig Council spoke really well yesterday, or I guess this would have been Sunday, about Freddie Peralta's outing and, and what was good and what was bad. But Freddie pitched well. I mean, he, he pitched well. Um, you know, the, the eventually walks are going to hurt you. You know, if you, if you continue to walk, it's gonna, those are going to hurt you eventually. And, and today the walk hurt Freddie, I thought. Great outing, pitched really well, but the walks, that, that's what we remember, right? He could, he could be great for four or five innings, but if there's an inning or two that he makes a couple of mistakes, that's what's going to define a start, and that's what we've been talking about with Freddie Peralta. Woodruff, unlike Peralta, and we saw it last night, has learned to navigate the ups and downs of a six or seven inning start. I was thinking about this this afternoon. I think it's a lot like a road trip. Right, nice long road trip. We love those. Wisconsin, Wisconsinites love those. It's like, yeah, we'll drive. It's only 17 hours. Yeah, get a flight. Huh? It's only 13 hours in the car. Why would I fly? <laughs> Idiot, right? Like, we, we have that mentality. We like a good long road trip. And think of a road trip. Say your family is, is loading up the van or you and your friends are loading up the car and you're, you're driving to Florida. Let's say you're driving to Panama City Beach for spring break. Family trip. Google Maps, I looked this up today, tells me that that is an 18-hour, 55-minute drive. So let's say like 17 hours from Madison and even 20 hours if you're coming from a little bit farther north like Eau Claire, right? Let's say a 20-hour drive, just for an example. Driving and navigating a long road trip like that, there's a certain art to it, right? There's a certain touch that's needed. Sure, like any loser who's ever taken driver's ed can operate a car, right? Turn signal, right, left, gas brake. It's not that hard, but a long road trip, there's a little bit of nuance to that. Right? There's a certain art, a certain style to being able to, to navigate your way through an, a 19-hour drive, right? There's, there's different parts of a road trip. There's the parts where you can kind of relax, kick on the cruise control, listen to a, a book on tape or a nice long playlist, and just, just kick back, maybe eat a snack right, that you picked up at the gas station. But then there's other times of a long road trip where you really you got to sit up, you got to lean into the steering wheel, tell the kids in the backseat, shut up, dad's driving, Right? You got to focus on the exit ramps and keep track of the HOV lane and the toll boost and all that stuff. Parts of road trips can be stressful. Of 20 hours, let's say uh, a couple of hours are stressful and then a lot of it's highway driving, right? There's certain ups and downs. There's challenging parts of a road trip and then there's relaxing parts of a road trip. And I think it's very similar for an MLB starting pitcher who goes six innings. Same idea, right? Brandon Woodruff last night in the first inning had to strap in and work in the first inning. He threw 28 pitches in the first inning. Right, and, and I would equate last night's first inning to when you're driving to Florida and you got to pass through Nashville, depending on which way you go. Right? Okay, well, now we're dealing with traffic. So we got to time when we get to Nashville. We don't want to get there in rush hour, maybe middle of the day or really early in the morning or late at night. Right? So we got to navigate with traffic and all the on ramps and the off ramps. And maybe you got to stop to get gas. So there's an 
exit and you got to find the nearest stop and go around the corner and right whenever you're driving through stressful conditions right you got to turn the volume down it doesn't make sense but we all do it anyways there's somebody in the passenger seat they got to be locked in and alert and ready to go to, and to assist to answer any question that the driver might have it's stressful that was Brandon Woodruff's first inning last night got to grind right got to focus got to work hard to get through this inning but then he got through that first inning after 28 pitches and only one hit and then innings two three four five six Brandon Woodruff kind of relaxed a little bit, reclined the seats a couple of uh, inches, threw on the cruise control, and he was able to make it through innings two through six through 67 pitches. That's about 13 and a half pitches per inning. That's pretty darn good. He settled in once he fought through and battled through that first inning, right? Once he dealt with traffic and got through the big hub of the city, well, now he's on the highway, right? Innings two through five last night, we're like driving through Illinois, a lot of windmills, farm fields you throw on that cruise control and, and that's the part of the trip where you see if you can't can't scoot your eta up a few minutes right all oh, the gps says we're gonna get there at 5 35 p.m <laughs> i get there by 5 15 you just watch right that that's the stretch of the trip where you can relax and make up some time and for last night that was brandon woodruff innings two through six freddie peralta needs to learn how to navigate needs to learn how to 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 Work hard sometimes, but then also kick back and relax and go cruise control. Woody and Burns have, have figured this out. They didn't always know how to do it, but they've figured it out. Something that Freddie now has got to figure out. And like I said earlier this week, I'm going to say it again and again and again. That's something we're going to follow with Freddie Peralta literally all season long, right? If he can take that next step as a starter to consistently eat six or seven innings the way that Woodruff and Burns have both been able to, I guess, Woody mine, uh, minus opening day. Those two have been able to do that all season long. After talking about Woodruff and the rest of the great pitching staff, Hayter slammed the door and Suter went through the eighth inning and Fire Eisen was pretty darn good. After you talk about those guys, I think you got to give the offense a lot of credit last night. Not that the Brewers needed much offense, right? Two runs would have done the trick. At some point after the first inning, they just needed to get two across. They ended up getting three. We talk about the Brewers offense right now. We're not talking about Yelich or Kane or Keston Hira. But once again, we're talking about Luis Urias. Tyrone Taylor hit a shot last night. Billy McKinney. The way this team offensively has stayed afloat after all these injuries is just nuts. I mean, Billy McKinney, for God's sake. He's out there hitting dongs, being a big part of their win last night. I think we got to show David Stern some love over that. Right? For the success of Luis Urias and how he has played out so far, something I was very wrong about, happy to be wrong about it. Tyrone Taylor last night, Billy McKinney. I mean, think, think of Luis Urias. Right, The Brewers made that trade, and it seemingly made no sense. Shipped away Trent Grisham, who seemed like a young, exciting player. Zach Davies, who was a nice piece in their rotation at the time. And, and what they were doing was just buying low on a prospect. A prospect that not a lot of people had heard of. Some people had given up on. But they saw that potential. And because the Brewers are a small market team, they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to take shots and buy into young, developing players and hope they pan out. Technically, that's what they did with Yelich. They saw a young player with great potential boom potential and they made the trade and look how it panned out and it's panned out so well then in retrospect it seems so obvious well of course you trade for Christian Yelich he's an MVP yeah but he wasn't at the time that move like the Luis Urias move was just a move where the Brewers were buying into a young player who they then could have under club control for a while and then they could grow and watch develop that's what they did with Yelich and it worked out as good as it could work out and they're trying to do that again with Urias and they'll try to do that again and again because they can't afford to go buy an MVP and bring them in as a free agent. So they have to develop them and take shots, strategic bets here and there on certain prospects when they can make trades. 
the Luis Urias trade might pan out to be a really, really sharp move. And even I admit it, somebody who's hated on that trade uh, for the sake of my radio program. Billy McKinney, another player that I think we got to give David Stern some props for. He had no options. He was a simple waiver claim. And he comes into spring training. He had over 260. He had four home runs, almost 10 RBIs. He had a really good spring training. And Stearns and Council said, well, I know he doesn't have any options. And we might not need an extra bat. At least they didn't at the time. Now they do because they've been bit by the injury bug. But Stearns and Council tried to catch lightning in a bottle. And so far they have. That's really impressive. That's a sharp move to say, hey, he might not be on the roster at the end of the year, but he's hitting the heck out of the ball right now. Let's keep him on the club. Let's keep him going. That's a sharp move. Got to give David Stearns props for that move. Give him props for the Urias trade. It's about a process, right? The process of buying low on somebody with a bunch of potential and hoping that they pan out in a huge way. That's literally what they did with Christian Yelich. Now, it doesn't seem like that. Christian Yelich wasn't always an MVP. He was just a, a young prospect who they traded for at the time, hoping that he would become an MVP, and he did. So now, of course, in retrospect, well, it's obvious you trade for Christian Yelich. Well, you know, every team had the, the opportunity to, and yet David Stearns was the one to pull the trigger. They're trying to do the same thing with Urias. They caught lightning in a bottle with McKinney, and that's why they're able to beat a really good team like San Diego, even without Yelich and without Wong and Kane and without Keston here swinging the bat with one shred of competency. It's impressive. I want to talk about the other game from last night. Milwaukee Bucks losing at the buzzer. Game was so stupid. Refs got involved late. It was so dumb. It was an amazing NBA game. One of the best ones I've watched all year. And the refs stuck their nose in it naturally. Let's talk about that and why I'm just I'm just sick of the NBA in a different regard. I've been talking about all the reasons I'm mad about the NBA. Well, here's a new reason. Let's talk about that. Coming up next, more of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. You just gotta be better closing out that game. We have a seven point lead, and next thing you know, we're going to overtime. Just gotta be better defensively. Um, I don't know if we turn the ball over, but I'm pretty sure we got good shots since they just didn't fall. Uh, defensively, we just have to be better. Um, we gotta somehow get stops. Because if we get stops, that's the game right there for us. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. Brewers game was awesome last night, the Bucks game was awesome too. The finish was just not quite as satisfying. Now the Bucks lost to the Suns. It happened already this year. I can handle watching my Bucks lose. The end was a huge bummer. The way the refs involved themselves, the way that it ended on a free throw. That's just stupid. It's like a game ending on an untimed down. It's, I don't know. It's left a bad taste in my mouth. And I want to talk about the Bucks for a couple of minutes before we speak with our good friend reviewing the brew, David Gasper, coming up in about 10 minutes. My name is Grant Bills. You can find me on Twitter if you'd like, at Wisco Grant. You can be part of the show that way. You can also send a text to the show at 608-796-2558. Going to talk Packers coming up later in the show. I'm trying to make a more conscious effort to do a little bit of draft talk, just a little bit. It's not my favorite topic, but it's one of the biggest stories right now. So we're going to talk a little draft, a couple of trade rumors that were flying around that are all really hilarious about the Packers. So football coming up in the second hour of the show, and we'll speak with Ebo at 530 as well. Bucks Suns last night. I have been starved for good NBA basketball. I feel like there hasn't been a good legit game in a while. Everybody's hurt or everybody's resting. Right? We basically in the last week we've just been watching Steph Curry because he's been playing so well. That's about the extent of our NBA entertainment. Last night, the Suns and the Bucks, two teams with finals aspirations. They might not be the favorite in their respective conferences, but they have final aspirations nonetheless. This could be an NBA Finals preview. Could be. I wouldn't bet money on it, but it's certainly plausible, certainly realistic. We finally got a competitive 
high-level, high-quality NBA game. Trading tough buckets back and forth. Just great shot makers, making shots, just trading haymakers, going back and forth. Great players, great teams. It was really fantastic. And then the game goes to overtime, and it's tied. And Devin Booker attempts a potential game-winning shot, and he gets caught by the sideline and didn't really get a good look. Oh, what was that? The refs involved themselves and ruined the game. Now, I'm not an idiot. I understand that the Bucks were up, what, six with a couple minutes to go? They could have won. Yeah, they could have. They could have slammed the door. They could have gone on a run, scored some points, and ended it in regulation. Yeah, they could have played better defense. They could have defended the three-point line better. Coach Bud just really doesn't seem to be about that. Last night, Phoenix, I believe, made 16 threes. Let me pull it up to make sure I have that right. 16 or 17 threes. Like, Phoenix is just making every three-point shot because that's kind of what the Bucks do. They just, you know, make as many as you want. They made 17. But layups, they took away those layups. By hook or by crook, they took away those layups. There's some things the Bucs could have done better yesterday. Absolutely. They had a chance to win it before the buzzer in regulation, and for whatever reason, they just let Giannis handle the ball at the top of the key, despite really every fan and every media member, even Charles Barkley is saying, like, that ain't it. Like, Giannis shouldn't be starting the offense at the top of the key. That allows the defense to get set up. Why are you doing that? Well, that's what they do. Giannis falls over. The game goes to overtime, where it's eventually decided at the end, yes, by the refs. I understand that there were a lot of crossroads, a lot of turning points before the final play of the game where the Bucs could have won it. Yes, I understand that. But that's not what I want to talk about. And I understand on the final play that, yeah, P.J. Tucker who was the the player called for the foul on Devin Booker. I understand he grazed the arm a tiny bit. Sure. I don't care. I don't care that he grazed his arm a tiny bit. Like, don't lecture me on the rule book. Like, well, actually, if you slow it way down, you can see that he was touched. I don't care. I don't care that he touched him a little bit. In crunch time of a game like that, the end of overtime or at the end of regulation, I don't want to see block charge calls. I don't want to see judgment calls, especially on jump shots, fouls on jump shooters. I don't want to see that. In crunch time, I don't want games to come down to block charges. I don't want games to come down to fouls on jump shooters. Just like in the NFL, I don't want to see games come down to pass interferences at the end of the game, mostly because they just wildly benefit Tom Brady in literally every instance. Most most officials do, but, right? I don't want to see the block charge. I don't want to see the foul on jump shooters because these aren't natural basketball plays. Right, These are outside of the normal progression of what basketball players do. For example, if somebody is driving to the paint, a defender might run in and set up shop right in the circle and brace for contact. That's not a basketball play. right? That's a player going out of the norm, doing something that a basketball player would never do. You're just throwing your body in there, trying to create contract or contact, and trying to manipulate the game. That's not a natural basketball play. Same with a jump shooter, right? You see this a lot where a point guard, for example, let's use Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic will be at the top of the key, and he'll break down the defender, and he'll get ahead of steam going towards the basket with the defender trailing behind. And then what will he do? He'll pull up and stop and, and go up to shoot, and because the defender's behind him, well, now the defender will run into his back, and he'll get the whistle. That's not a natural basketball play. You are manipulating the game. It's the same with the block charge, especially at the end of the game, or a jump shooter, especially from three, who's shot faking and then leaning into trying to create contact. That's not a natural basketball play. That doesn't happen naturally. It's all manipulation. And basketball, and even football to some extent, going to include manipulation. Sometimes you have to sell it for the sake of the call. And I'm okay with that to a certain extent. For example, if you want to manipulate the game of basketball and you want to manipulate the officials 
from a position of strength, I'm 100% okay with that because you earn that right. Let's say Giannis gets a head of steam driving at the paint, and he's got a wide open lane at the bucket, right? He beat his defender. He won that one-on-one, and he's got a, a shot at the paint. And then his defender grabs him from behind and fouls him. So he sells the call a little bit, and he goes to the free throw line. Okay. I feel like Giannis or Harden or whoever, Kyrie Irving in that instance, right, has earned the right to manipulate a little bit because they won their one-on-one. They beat their defender. They have, a, they have a path at the paint, and they would score if not for the foul, right? The, the foul that was called on Devin Booker at the end of that game, Devin Booker wasn't in a position of strength. He was dribbling towards the sideline. He had nowhere to go. He had no game plan. He wasn't playing from a position of strength. He was screwed, and that call bailed him out. Do you get that distinction? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, if Devin Booker had driven to the paint and beaten his man and created space in the paint and then goes up for the shot and he's fouled, okay. It's a natural basketball play. He's coming from a position of strength. He can manipulate that play. But when you're halfway out of bounds and you just jump up in the air and throw a heave, a lot of you don't get the bailout call or you shouldn't get the bailout call. Bronson Koenig would have hit that shot with his eyes closed facing backwards because he's that man. I guess Devin Booker is, is not that man. And that played out, I guess, in the Final Four a couple of years ago when those two teams matched up. It's just a bad taste in my mouth to end the game. And that's a bummer when you sit down and you commit two hours and 45 minutes to an NBA game. And then this amazing game culminates with a bailout call that has no business ending a game. You know what I mean? It's a bummer. Let's take a break. Come back. Talk with our friend from Reviewing the Brew, David Gasper. And he's already tweeting at me at Wisco Grant. Stat lines for Luis Arias. He knows that that's what we're going to talk about. It's going to be an emotional conversation, an emotion, an emotional moving moment between me and David Gasper because we're going to come together, we're going to lay down our, our, our weapons, and we're going to agree about Luis Urias. I'm going to concede to David Gasper of Reviewing the Brew. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, rolling on. Hope your week is coming along nicely. We're talking about a real bummer of a Bucks loss, a real exciting Brewers win. Uh, in the real world of news today, of things that actually matter, uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, the killer of George Floyd, was convicted on all counts. I'm not, like, look, I'm not telling you how to feel. I'm not telling you what to think. I know everybody has mixed feelings about issues like this. I do want to say this. Before you post on Facebook or get in a fight with your uncle on social media, uh, just just take a couple minutes to reflect. Be empathetic. Let's not turn this into a moment where we're all going to start fighting with each other. Uh, a lot of people have very strong feelings on, on this type of thing. So just have a little empathy. Take a deep breath. Relax for a while. And if you still feel strongly about something, okay, well then if you want to fight on social media, that is what it's for. But just take a moment right? Let's not start fighting with each other. Looks uh, like people are pretty thrilled in the Twin Cities, which is why I thought, why not play a little atmosphere? Although I play atmosphere almost every day on this show. More fitting today. The rapper from the Twin Cities should definitely listen if you're not familiar. David Gasper uh, from Reviewing the Brew. Do you ever listen to atmosphere? Is that, a, is that an artist you dabble I, with? I do not. No. Well, that's okay. That's okay. You you spend all your time listening to Brewers podcasts and recording Brewers podcasts. You probably don't even listen to music, right. do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I went to bed last night about 1230 
thinking, like, I, I was smiling going to bed. I'm like, I hope that Gasper is free tomorrow night. I really hope he can come on because there's so many interesting things to talk about, including your boy, Luis Urias. It's going to be an emotional moment. We can do that at the end. I just just know that I've been looking forward to this all day, David Gasper. This is this is uh, highly, highly anticipated. Would that be the word? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well, man. What time did you get to bed last night? I'm curious, because I had to stay up until, like, close to 1. I watched some highlights, watched the postgame stuff. I can't go to bed right after my team gets a big win. I need time to calm down. Are you the same way? Yeah, yeah, I think I was around, like, 1230 to 1 there, somewhere around that time. I have a bad feeling that the game's going to take a lot longer tonight. I feel like we kind of got let off the hook last night with the game that was done nah, in less than three nah, hours. We, we got Corbin Burns going tonight. He He's a quick worker that's true he's kind of like a fast forward button it, i mean i'm not going to complain last night's game was kind of boring for a lot of it but that's cool because it, it keeps it moving along brewers won last night three to one let's talk about brandon woodruff first because he was great six innings one earned run the first inning was really the only time where he had issues at all and it was still only one hit i was really impressed last night by woody's ability to have a 28 pitch first inning which he had some struggles and then he got in a groove and he went another five hitless innings. That's a difficult task to pull off for a starting pitcher. Can you speak to Woodruff's ability to kind of navigate through a game, through the ups and downs, through the easy parts and the difficult parts, and consistently so far this year, he's eating six or seven innings for Craig Council. That's not easy. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so, I mean, Woodruff, uh, really for him, I mean, yeah, his last three starts, he's gone six or seven innings, and uh, he's only allowed one hit in two of those last three, so... Uh, he's re- he's really pitched extremely well. He's pushing the pitch count up to about 95 pitches now, and uh, that that's why he's hit his last two starts. And yeah, for him, I mean, it's really kind of been pounding the strike zone. And you looked at uh, yesterday, 18 of the 22 batters he faced, he started with a first pitch strike. So only four batters that did he throw a first pitch ball to. Two of them ended up walking, um, and another one, uh, uh, the other one, I believe, had the had the base hit so really for him uh just keeping those first pitch strikes getting ahead in the count uh, that's a way to really just kind of settle into a ball game and really just kind of work quickly limit that pitch count and not have to battle around with a whole bunch of different guys and uh not not have extended counts extended at bats and keep that pitch count down uh, by starting off those first pitch strikes and getting ahead of guys because then from there Woodruff can throw anything in his arsenal so it was really just kind of key for him, and it's key for really just kind of pitchers across the board, throwing those first pitch strikes and, and getting ahead of hitters uh, so that you can really just kind of focus the rest of the at-bat around them and just continue to attack them. Because Woodruff, Woodruff has that, that attack, that, that bulldog mentality of just going after hitters. Is that the next step then for Freddie Peralta too? Because I so far this season, I'm watching Freddie, and I'm comparing them to Burns and Woodruff. Because Burns and Woodruff have had good times and bad times, They've developed, right? And I think Freddie Peralta is just a little bit behind in that process. Is it as simple as that for Freddie Peralta? I know we talked about this last week, but does he just have to throw first pitch strikes? Is that the the biggest part of it, do you think? Yeah, I think that's really kind of one of of the big parts of it for him. And, and yeah, I mean, he's a few years behind those guys. He's only 24 years old, same as – same as uh, I am, and, yeah, look what he's doing. But, uh, yeah, so for Freddie, the, he's got the arsenal now. He's developed the slider, the, the change up, the curveball. He's got four pitches now instead of just one and a half. Um, so for Peralta, the final step 
is command. And you, we've seen it in his couple of starts. He's always been, you know, walking a couple of guys. He's got a pretty high walk rate. He's got to cut that down. And that's really just kind of going to be the final step in the process of Peralta really reaching uh, his immensely high ceiling. Cause I mean, he's got a ceiling of a, you know, number two, you know, possibly even a number one type starter um, with with the stuff that he has. And the only thing that can stop him from reaching it is getting into a lot of deep counts and walking a lot of guys um, and and going shorter into games. And that's really kind of what's been happening so far with Peralta. It's not unexpected. I mean, he's, he's got all those new pitches in his arsenal. He's still, I mean, he, he's got the, the shape of them down. He's got the nastiness down, but it's just commanding those pitches and commanding them within the strike zone. Uh, that's really going to be the, the final key step uh, to, to put into place for, for Peralta. And then, and then he can be there. And sometimes that, that can take a while. It's not going to happen immediately. Uh, we're probably going to see, you know, struggles with, with walking guys um, from Peralta and, and getting into a lot of deep counts, you know, probably throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may, it may take a while. I mean, even Jimmy Nelson uh, for a bunch of years, he had had all the stuff to be an ace. It was just a matter of getting the command down and, and stop walking as many guys. And in 2017, he finally, he finally got there. And then, you know, the unfortunate injury, injury derailing his career, but um, like that, that was, that's just kind of the final step in the process is getting that command down and, and cutting down on the walks uh, so that you can go deeper into games and have the lower pitch count. So Peralta, I, I think he's going to get there. He's still young. He's still, you know, got a little bit of development there to go, but certainly very encouraging signs so far. Well, and we watched that play out real time with Corbin Burns last year. It was very clear early on in the season. He had all the stuff. It was just about putting it together. And then simply by the end of the year, right, a couple of months, you saw the mm-hmm. progress that yeah. he made. So that's encouraging. We have precedent for Freddie Peralta. David Gasper reviewing the brew. Urias is not going to play tonight. It looks like uh, the lineup is going to have Vogel back at first base, uh, Keston Hira back at second. I actually have one of our listeners, Binksy, big Brewers fan, texted in, told to ask you about Daniel Vogelback and, and his role. Council said they got to get him more at bats. Now they're finding offense with Billy McKinney and Tyrone Taylor, and they're piecemealing this together while they wait for their studs to come back off the injured list. What do you think of Vogelback and the way that he's been used? Does he deserve more playing time? What's his ideal spot in this moment uh, for this Brewers team? Well, with Vogelback, it's really it's it's a tough spot for him and and for the Brewers because, I mean, with the way he's been hitting, um, he, I mean, just kind of the numbers that he's put up, he probably would be a a better option. He's a he's the hot hand, I guess, at the plate. Mm-hmm. But with Keston Hira, it's very you know it's an experimental thing over at first base. They want to get him the reps. They know they need to get him the reps. He needs the at-bats. He needs to get going. This offense is really uh, going to be depending on Keston Hira finding his his bat again. Because, you know, even with, you know, Christian Yelich back to his old self, um, they need a guy like Keston Hira there in, in the – in the middle of the lineup who has that 30 home run, 300 batting average type of potential. You know, Avisail Garcia and Omar Narvaez are having, you know, really strong bounce backs right now. Travis Shaw is having a pretty strong start to the season. Um, but most of those guys, you can't count on either one or both uh, of a 300 average or three or 30 home runs. Mm-hmm. Kesson Hira, he's someone who has the, the ability to do both of those things. So they, they want to get Hero going. They need to get him going. They know that they need to get him going. 
And even though Vogelbach has probably earned, you know, more playing time, and that's where we're seeing him here getting these starts at first base, and, and Keston here is going back to second uh, some of these days. You know, they, they need to they need to see more out of Hero. They they need to give him the at bats to swing his way out of it because. I really don't think they're going to try to put him down to AAA or to the alternate training site. I don't think that's the best for, for Hero or his development or, or best for the team. Uh, they need to get him going, and they got to give him as many at-bats as possible to to work on it. So Volgebach, just with his position limitations, uh, that he just kind of ends up getting the short end of the stick. Yeah. I mean, he's a hitter. I, I want more bats for him, but it's really tough when they have to walk this tightrope of, of Keston Hira. And and that's not even with Colton Wong in the picture. When he comes back, there's going to be even fewer positions and fewer at-bats. They're really going to have to thread yeah. the needle with This with is Wong where the designated back. hitter from, uh, yeah. you know, Grand Commissioner Manfred uh, <laughs> w- really would have been nice this year. Yeah, it would have played well with Vogel back to get him some extra at-bats. That's, that's for sure. Or even Brandon Woodruff on his off day. I'd take some Woody at-bats <laughs> as a DH, too. Uh, bullpen question. Because I think this is what we're all trying to figure out right now, Craig Council included. Josh Hader's your number one reliever. Which relievers mm-hmm. do you trust behind Hader? How would you order them right now? So right now, I think I'd have to trust J.P. Fireisen next uh, behind Hader, just with the way that he's been pitching, the way he's been pitching all spring. Uh, he's looking really good. Fireisen, I think, is a pretty trustworthy arm back there. And, you know, Devin Williams, when he gets himself, you know, fully back to 100%, um, he's certainly going to be up there. And, you know, right now they're just kind of going through scheduled uh, outings and, and just trying to make sure he's worked back up because he had a pretty abbreviated spring training. He only had three or four outings uh, in, in all of spring. So um, it's they're trying to build him back up a little bit still. Um, but then you got the the guys like Brent Suter and, and Brad Boxberger and, you know, council has been going to them in some big spots as well. And Suter came through yesterday. I mean, he gave up the one hit, but it got it immediately erased on a double play. Mm-hmm. So um, he did a really good job there. And Boxberger, a veteran arm, been around the league a while. Uh, he's someone that, that you can pretty well trust in late inning situations. He's been a closer in the big leagues. Agreed. Um, so he's good there. And, um, you know, Drew Rasmussen, I think they want to get there. I don't think he's earned that trust yet, but he's got the, the arm potential uh, to, to be that type of trusted back-end arm. Uh, he just hasn't had his, enough big league experience to really put himself in that trusted reliever category. I'm a box guy. I'm a box man. I, I like Brad Boxberger. He seems <laughs> like he's going to be a, a valuable arm, especially right now we're waiting for Williams to come along and I, I like Rasmussen, too. He just might need a little bit of time. But that's kind of what the regular season's for, right? You're figuring out who mm-hmm. plays well in what role, and it's it's a long experiment over 162 games. Gasper, I've been excited for this all day. Um, I don't I don't enjoy being wrong. Um, it's part of the job when I spew opinions for two hours every day. I, uh, right. I, I think this is going to be a moment of unity for us. You know I, I was, and I still am an Orlando RC guy. You're a Luis Urias guy. I'll admit I now see what you see. I uh, It is clear to me. And I saw that you tweeted at me before our hit. Luis Urias in his last six games hitting 385, 5 for 13 with doubles, homers, RBIs. It's all there. I don't even need to see the numbers, okay? Here's my new take about Luis Urias. When I watch him, his potential and, and his pop jumps off the screen at me, right? I can see it. It's tangible. I never saw that with Arcia as much as I like him. So you were right. I will lay down my weapons. I can see this battle. You were right. Well done, David Gasper. 
Welcome to the light, my friend. <laughs> Welcome to the light. Oh uh, yeah, Lu- Luis Arias, man. I mean, he's he's had this hitting ability, and I mean, he had a very unfortunate slump, which started immediately after Arcia was traded. Uh, so that was really kind of a, a, a rough to to see as he went like 0 for 13, I think, to finish off that road trip. But yeah, yeah. since uh, the Brewers came back home there for that series against the Cubs, and and the six games since then, he's he's hitting 385. Um, he's got you know four of his four of his high, five hits have gone for extra bases. He's shown a, a lot more power than I, I think a lot of us initially might, might have thought. I mean, he was mostly a, a slap hitter, kind of get on base kind of guy. Uh, never really had much home run power. Now he's got two of them, uh, really in the last um, just week. Uh, so it's really great to see that that type of power from him and and that extra base ability. And he's really kind of shown himself to to be the player that the Brewers thought he could be and that's the reason that they acquired him from san diego in the first place and, and that's why they gave up someone that the brewers really loved and, and trent grisham they they really did not want to give him up but you know they felt with the ability to get urias uh, and get him to to help out that shortstop position you know they, they felt that it was worth it and it was it was certainly tough to part with grisham um and you know you're seeing why as well with how he's performed over there so um but I think that I think this trade could, you know, still end up being uh, not as bad on the Brewer side as a lot of people have thought. I'm seeing the potential. I'm seeing the flash. I like what I'm seeing from Luis Urias. It doesn't look like he's going to be in the lineup tonight. He's got some cramps or tightness or something going on, which yeah, is kind of a calf story. cramp. With, yeah. A calf cramp while while he was uh, trotting out his home run. How's that for a flex on you? <laughs> Naturally. Well, it feels good to be on the right side of history. I'm now a Luis Urias guy. I'll always remember and pay respects to our, our fallen, our former Orlando Arcia, but uh, it feels good to be on the right side of history. And sorry it took me so long, but, you know, I'm stubborn, Gasper, and I, I stick to my guns with these types of things. So, hey, I appreciate you, man. I know we're both going to be up late tonight. I will probably text you around midnight uh, just to prove that I'm awake and watching the game, and hopefully we get another Brewers win tonight. Hopefully. I mean, yeah, Corbin Burns on the mound, and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado are not in the lineup yes. for the Padres. So... You got that going for you there. Uh, but also Trent Christian is, is going to be back in there, so we'll be able to see him too. I'm excited to watch. That should be fun tonight. Corbin Burns is always fun. Enjoy the game, Gasper. Thanks again. I will. Happy Corbin Burns Day, man. Happy 420. I mean, Corbin Burns Day. Yep, you too, David Gasper, reviewing the brew. <laughs> Let's take a break. I want to wrap up this hour of the program. Just a couple of... Uh, couple of quick hitters on the brewer, specifically one about Keston here. I'm actually going to defend the guy. I know. Um, I don't I don't think it's that creative. I don't think I'm I'm being that irrational. I will actually defend Keston Hira coming up next. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Rolling on, I am Grant Bills on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. The talk and text line, if you'd like to be a part of the show, 608-796-2558. It's Corbin Burns Day. It's 420. Happy holidays to anybody who celebrates either one of those occasions. I'm looking forward to watching Corbin Burns tonight. It's always something to look forward to. I've also been looking forward to this all day. Uh, That's my conversation with Ebo from The Zone in Madison. And Ebo, on top of being charming and funny and handsome and you host an award-winning morning show uh you're very popular with listeners because i already have a tweet from big joe saying hey tell ebo hi 
And a text from Brenda in Madison. Hey, t- tell Ebo hi. So, hello from all of your fans that have followed you here to 530 on, on this show. Well, Grant, first of all, I want to say hello to Brenda. Hello to Big Joe. Also, you know, great listeners of my show, Over the Line, so I appreciate them. But, Grant, I've also been looking forward to my time with you. In fact, I've gotten messages in the morning excited for me to talk to Grant Bills. So the love is out there in the ether for all. It feels good. It's nice that our, our shows are so connected and we have listeners that report back and forth anytime that either one of us come up on each other's shows. I I got to say, Nelson Nelson seemed like he had a bone to pick this morning with me when I joined your show at, at 840. There was something in the air this morning. I don't know, but I, I could feel it. Grant, uh, here's the thing. You're getting in line with who Nelson has the bone to pick with. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very long, and it's a list that I stopped keeping track of long ago. In like fact, that. I'm sure I'm somewhere on that long line. So it's uh, I don't feel, like, honored by it. It's just it's a lot of people, and it's, it's, it's nauseating sometimes. <laughs> don't, don't feel honored by it. Well, I won't. That, that's good to know. It, it, it gets me up in the morning knowing that i got to be on my game when I talk to you and Nelson uh, as a part of your show over the line. 6-10 to 10 on the zone. I want to ask you, Ebo, the draft is next week, and as huge Packers fans, lifelong Packers fans, I'm excited. I know you are too, but I, I'm not going to lie. I can't do it. I, I can't go through lists of prospects and talk about why I like this corner from West Virginia, and he ran this 40 time. I get, it's not my thing. So I'm really struggling the last two weeks to find things to talk about with the Packers. Have you experienced this, right? Is this something you experienced too, or is this just me? <sighs> I'm not saying it's just you, Grant. You could give me a box of cereal and I could find a bunch of topics to talk about sure. over it. It could be, you know, like Raisin Bran. It doesn't matter. No, but Grant, you're right. It's, when it comes to the draft, like I'm not that guy sitting in my mom's basement who has been crunching, you know, mock drafts for every single team for my eighth, 20th, millionth time. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I just, I don't. Because then, Grant, once they get to the NFL, like it's nice knowing about a thing or two when it comes to fantasy football and whatnot. But how often are you keeping up on X-Ted player here that you thought the Packers would have drafted in the sixth round with this pick and then possibly traded back to the fourth to get this guy? Like, no. To me, Grant, I've been trying to talk in more layman's terms. Is it a sexy pick or an unsexy pick Mm. for the Green Bay Packers? Because sex sells, Grant. So is it a sexy pick or an unsexy pick? And I think it's going to be an unsexy pick. That's (laughs) kind of what we've been talking about. (laughs) No, for sure. I I think it's going to be... Whatever pick you think is going to disappoint you most, picture that. It's going to be a pick more disappointing than that because that's just what the Packers like to do. Like, you got the Cowboys getting CeeDee Lamb last year, and now Jerry Jones is like, we want Kyle Pitts now, too. We're going to trade up and get him. The Packers are the opposite of that, which I I don't think is a bad thing, but for entertaining topics to to talk about around the draft, the Packers are just kind of a boring team, which is good sometimes to be a boring team around the draft. That's good. Well, you know, they're boring, sure, just because, you know, what they say to the media, but they win. That's the thing. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I implore you to I implore you to search within and ask yourself, have you ever been excited about the first pick that the Packers have in the draft, like coming up on 29th year? Um, have you ever actually been a fan of the pick? Like, ask yourself that, because there's many times where you look at it, it's like it's either a trade, a trade back, mm-hmm. or it's a pick you're just like, I did not see that coming. Grant, one thing about the draft, we, uh, I've been doing a draft predictor for about six years now. I, and I have all the listeners tweet in, call in, Facebook in, doesn't matter who they think the Packers will take with their pick. Out of all the millions of listeners who have done it, and of <laughs> all the drafts I've been, and all the drafts I've been through, Grant, only one person has got it right, and that was Kenny Clark, and his name was JD and MSN. No one out of the millions even came close. Only one person got it. 
Well, in some of these draft picks that have panned out, like Kenny Clark is a good example, or Jair Alexander, right? These are picks that have panned out. They've turned into really good players. But at the time, I'm like, Kenny Clark? I remember a buddy who's a Vikings yeah. fan texting me. He's like, yeah, fun with Kenny Clark. I was like, oh, well, they, <laughs> like I, I don't know, but he turned into one of their better players. Same with Jair. I think anytime a team trades down, you're automatically disappointed. Because with fans, we see, oh, you're trading down. You're getting a player that's not as good. And whoever you take, even if it's Jair Alexander, who's spectacular, right, we get frustrated about it, which is how fandom works. That's part of the fun. Ebo, yeah. our friend from Madison, 6-10 to 10 on the zone. The hey, Brewers. Man. Yes, Ebo? Real quick, in honor of 420, my perfect draft memory, my best draft memory, Jeremy uh, Tunsil with the blonde gas mask. Just wanted to remind <laughs> Just wanted to remind people of that. That's all. I forgot about that. It's funny. I saved this little sound effect. Um, I saw this clip on Twitter of Bill Michaels, who's on in the afternoon, and you've been running his board. You've been doing the show with him. And I think like a week or looking? two ago, how we looking exactly, he was talking about, he must have had a topic about what stoners watch, uh, what kind of sports they watch. And I saved this sound effect of him just yelling. Smoking pot. And I've just been playing with that today because <laughs> I think it's... I think it's really funny. Smoking pot. <laughs> this one and then Zach Heilprin's voice. Those are the two sound effects that I've been using. So, yes, that's, that is a good 420 nice. memory. The Laramie Tunsil gas mask bong incident, which in hindsight is so dumb. He's a great left tackle, but what a, what a yeah, I forgot about that. I'm, I'm going to go back and hopefully they make a 30 for 30 about that or something. Uh, like, And it couldn't have just been a normal bong. It had to be a gas mask bong. So it was like extra like scary and fancy. That oh, That's what I He's love about the He's a professional. He's a professional, okay? Mm-hmm. Happy 420. Happy gas mask bong. Let's uh let's talk about the Brewers. Um yeah, they're on the West Coast. I had a ton of fun last night. I think I've been talking more Brewers, probably more Brewers than I should to avoid talking about the draft cuz the draft kind of bores me at least until it actually starts. I have been the Orlando RC guy. I am happy to report I made the announcement back at 4:30 when I spoke with David Gasper. I know we talked about this this morning, but I am I'm off my Orlando RC. I'm over him. Right, that breakup. I'm over the breakup. I'm on to bigger and better things. So I just I wanted to share that with you. I think that's important. Grant, I know it hurts. I get it. Like I was Orlando Arcia guy too, but I let go a lot quicker than you did. I understand that. <laughs> I loved the hairdo. It was the beautiful hair. I yeah. wish I, my hair was like that with the bleach, you know, the brown. I loved it. But Grant, it's just you know, it's, it's baseball. Have you seen the mon- uh, the movie Moneyball, where Jonah Hill's got to go up and like fire a guy, and, like welcome to the business, mm-hmm. cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Now you're just another guy in the way. Yeah, that's a good point. I was I was freaking out last night, Ebo, when Brandon Woodruff came out after six innings and they were warming up J.P. Fireisen and Brent Suter, and I knew, I'm like, oh, my God. If they pull Brandon Woodruff after six innings and they end up losing this game, it's going to be DEFCON 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to talk about this with Ebo tomorrow. I know all the listeners are going to be fired up yelling about Craig no. Council. I know. No, was... Graham Bills, how quickly you judge. Brandon Woodruff was ready to come out of that game. Oh, you know, oh, the, my. It's when you're – Grant, there's things called passing the eye test, not oh. just looking at the numbers and being an, an advanced analytics nerd. Grant, is the eye test. When the eye test fails you, then, then, then you pull the pitcher. Brandon Woodruff, the eye test, pull him, yes. It's interesting how when they pulled Brandon Woodruff and it worked out, well, he was ready to exit the game. But a week ago, when Craig Council pulled Corbin Burns maybe an inning before he should have, well, what an idiot. What an idiot. He was. He should have pitched 13 innings if the if the game was tied. It's, I, I got to point out that that's a little interesting, Evo. Grant, when Brandon Woodruff was initially pulled from what could have been his first win, he was sitting at, ooh, I think it was 74 pitches. The way he was pitching, he was on pace for 96 pitches, exactly what he threw last night. Mm. So, my friend Grant Bills, 
he could have easily done it in the first time he was out there. So point me. Point you. Well, it's a couple. <laughs> it's a couple of weeks later, right? You need time to ease into the season. I and by the way, don't don't cite the eye test and then immediately start hitting me with numbers and, and projections for pitch counts. Although that's that's a that's a clever move. I appreciate the maneuver you just pulled. Ebo, the zone, six to ten in the morning. The Bucks. Did you guys get mad about the officiating this morning and how that game came down to a whistle at the end? It felt kind of similar to that Badger-Iowa game. We were all so mad about the officials ruining a really good game. Honestly, my most biggest or my, yeah, the biggest excitement I had about the Bucks ending, a controversial ending, if you will, mm-hmm. was getting to talk to you this morning on my show at 840 because you had to sleep in. Grant, it was it was awesome knowing that you would be impassioned and inspired and fiery about it. So Grant, I'm still under the guise of regular season NBA. Like I'll tune in for the big moments, like the fourth quarters. I'll watch the highlights. When I watched the highlights in the morning, I was like, that was an iffy call. It's regular season NBA. I'm not going to get too worked up about it, but I know a guy who will. And that's why we love having you on. Is that all I am to you? I got a tweet from a listener this morning who said that uh, that I'm always triggered all the time. Is that my is that my role? I'm the guy who's always like one slight remark away from losing his mind. Is, is that is that my role in our company no. and, and in this network? Grant Bills, not not at all. How, how quickly you judge once again. <laughs> what it is is some people know their strengths, and one of my weaknesses, and know your weaknesses, one of my weaknesses is comes to the Milwaukee Bucks. I was teasing how I'm going to have teasing as in the radio business term, like you're teasing the segment coming up, mm. of teasing you coming up, Grant Bills, for your expertise buck knowledge because I know how good you are at it, and I will give you the point here of the bucks knowledge than it is to I. So, Grant Bills, you are, you are the fountain of knowledge here. I leaned on you this morning. Wow. Well, now I feel a little bit better about myself. I'm pretty sure you just ask kissing to, to make good radio and to make me feel better, which I appreciate because I need it. My ego is very fragile, and I need constant. I'm a huge <laughs> narcissist. I, to lean on you for a sec, just because I'm curious, I see Nelson tweeting all the time about, like, UFC stuff and fighting stuff. Have you guys been, like, balls-to-the-walls coverage of the Jake Paul saga? Is that something you're talking about in the morning? I listen to your show a little bit. I think I caught some of it the other morning where you're talking about the fights. Is that something that you're just going all out to talk about? Uh, Balls-to-the-wall, no, I wouldn't describe it as that. You know, I would say it's more boots-to-asses in the sense where the fight. <laughs> no, Grant, what it, we like to pepper it in. It's nothing, you know, sure. like Nelson is way more into the UFC uh, MMA side of things than I am. I was more into it like uh, in the early 2000s and kind of grew out of it. But now I, I'm like a casual fan. But it does get me fired up, especially because, you know, there's like at this moment not too much going on right now. But the fact that it was a guy from Wisconsin and Ben Askren and it was Jake Paul, a YouTube guy that is a total D-bag. Yeah, it, it was it was. And then obviously the rigging, the rigged fight, which was, you know, it's good fodder when it comes like this is this is obviously rigged. Like, am I going crazy? Am I the only one that sees this? I don't know. Do you still but, do D-bag of the week, by the way? <laughs> uh, Grant, ever since you know the world started spiraling out of control when it comes to everyone hating each other, I pumped the brakes <laughs> on the D-bag of the week. You didn't um, want, you didn't want already... to be dis- divisive. You don't want to be that guy? No, no, no. There's already just too much hate out in the world, Grant. And um, I was going to bring it back eventually, but just the time hasn't felt right yet. Um, why, why put one D-bag uh, a week when you can have many D-bags without specifically naming them, you know? You know, I don't care what everybody says, Ebo. You're, you're a good guy. You're a sweetheart. You know, you, you really are. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, Grant, listen, and if they were to say otherwise, I wouldn't care anyways. But you know what? 
the, I love the lovers and I love the haters and I, everyone in between. Greg. I know you don't need my confirmation because your ego is not fragile like me and you're not one comment away from being triggered constantly like me. But I, I, I do appreciate your show. You do a good job. And if you ever do bring back D-Bag of the Week, I just hope that one day I don't end up as the D-Bag of the Week. But Well, Grant, I mean, no, I know you brought up Nelson when we started this conversation about, you know, like he had the bone to pick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Nelson actually made it to the futile four of the D-Bag uh, of the year because we every year we do like a March Madness bracket and yep. whittle them down to the biggest D-Bag of the year. Uh, Manny Machado has won it, uh, the first, first name that comes to my mind. Good one. But Nelly, he was in the futile four. So, Grant, you, you were dealing with the, one of the biggest D-bags that we've had in quite some time. If you make it to the final four, you get remembered. We still talk about Wisconsin, right? Yeah. So don't worry about Nelly, right? At the end of the day, I guess he's just a D-bag. Yeah, final four. It's the Packers, the Bucks. We, we love making the final four. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. It's fine. Evo, I appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the Brewers tonight. Hey, Grant, you too, and uh, get some sleep afterwards. I hope the game doesn't go in the extras for you, and I always appreciate appreciate when you have me on your show, Grant. I appreciate that. Oh, well, thanks for being happy, Bo. You have an excellent night. Thanks for the thanks for the time. Glad I'm not one of the D-bags of the week. And I appreciate we have listeners chiming in. Big Joe, Brenda, just the Ebo, Ebo Nation. Does does Ebo's crowd, like, have a name? The, e- the Ebonators? The... The e, but we're gonna. I'm gonna think about that over the commercial break. This isn't something I'm gonna workshop over the air. I'm gonna say a faux pas or something I shouldn't say. Thank you for the Ebo crowd for showing up on Twitter at Wisco Grant and on the talk and text line 608-796-2558. Let's take a break. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Maybe preview Brewers Padres. We have the lineups. Maybe let's look over that and preview what is uh, on tap tonight for Wisconsin sports. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up.